Welcome to The Politics Guys, the place for a bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Factotum, Jay Carson. Good morning and Merry Christmas, Mike, or, yeah, or whatever the hell you celebrate. Well, you yeah. know, it's, uh, tomorrow will be <laughs> Festivus, and so I celebrate that, of course, right. uh, you know, made-up Seinfeld holiday, but I love it. Um, so, yeah, Merry Christmas to you, too, uh, and Happy Holidays and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, before we get to the show today, Jay, I want to just briefly mention two things. First off, uh, as listeners, as you know, uh, we recently had uh, on with Trey, Alexandra Philandra and Athena King for their second appearances each. So if you have any thoughts on them, whether you'd like to see them on a regular, like once a month or so basis, let us know what you think, positive, negative, well, indifferent. I guess if indifferent, you're not going to bother. But anyway, we would really <laughs> appreciate your feedback on that. And you can uh, you can get in touch with us, of course, mail at politicsguys.com. That probably helps to know that. Also, before we get started- You really started, need to figure out sort of like an American Idol type voting system. You know, where like they a just text, like America text votes to vote kind of thing. Yeah, that we, would be good. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good idea, Jay. Yeah, well, well, maybe that's a New Year's resolution for the show. I don't know. Uh, also, though, before we get started, we did want to let you know about our holiday schedule. This will be our last new show of the year, and we'll be back with our first show of 2019 on Wednesday, January 2nd. And that uh, on that day, Jay and I will be responding to listener questions, comments, that sort of thing. Though, if something huge happens before then, uh, we might do a special episode that would have to be, you know, pretty pretty huge with any luck we'll get a right. little bit if of america holiday. needs us we'll be there you know exactly that's that's you you put it so well jay um now if you're one of our patreon supporters though there will be a bunch of new things over the next few weeks uh first off as promised i started releasing my 12 part series on american politics and it's along with the accompanying powerpoint decks and basically it's essentially the experience you'd get uh, for better or worse if you took my american politics class at the northern kentucky university so that's there and those will be coming out more and more and also next saturday december 29th we'll be releasing the second installment of the in-depth policy series jay and i are doing and the topic this time will be racism and sexism uh and Jay, I bet that's going to be a pretty lively debate, I would say. It's my sense of things. Uh, so, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that that will be available to all of our Patreon supporters at the $5 a month or greater level. And supporters have access to all of that, either the special podcast app URL you get when you become a Patreon supporter or through our Patreon site. That's patreon.com, uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash politics, guys. There you go. And that's also where you can go if you want to become a Patreon supporter. All right. With that out of the way, let's get going. And I think the obvious place to open is with the partial government shutdown, which will affect around 25%. It's, yeah, it's been a crazy week, but yeah, yeah let's it? start with that. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. around a quarter of the federal agencies for which funding hadn't already been approved earlier in the year. And, you know, it, it, at the early part of this week, it actually looked like President Trump was going to back down from his demand that Congress include $5 billion plus in, in funding for that Mexico border wall. Given the pretty clear fact that the votes just don't seem to be there in the Senate. But then, after the president was presumably, I guess, informed that his plan B of having the military build the wall was, um, well, illegal, uh, as well as hearing from a number of 
Freedom Caucus members, it seems like he stiffened in his resistance. And so the House responded with that near party line vote to approve $5.7 billion in wall funding. But unless uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell follows Trump's advice to exercise the nuclear option of doing away with the filibuster, I don't see this getting to the president's desk. Uh, uh, so, Jay, how do you see this playing out? I mean, Clearly, I'd say the president once again surprised almost everyone, and that's including the Republican congressional leadership with this latest move. So what do you think the strategy is here, or do you think there's a strategy here? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's your guess is as good as mine, probably better <laughs> than mine. Um, you know, I, I, we should also say this is we're, we're recording this on Saturday morning. And it is still sort of, you know, the, the ball is staying. Things are still developing. And uh, I've, I've, again, just before we went on air, I saw on the news of, of senators saying, well, they think they still could maybe, you know, come up with something. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. So this this may be sort of old news by the time uh, our listeners get it. Um, oh, overall, I mean, I it's sort of I, I wish Trump had if he was going to do this, he should have done it. Uh, earlier, uh, if you know what I mean, and I'm just speaking strategically. Um, uh, you know, give give make sure the Senate has enough time to work out some sort of compromise uh, that we didn't have to hit the shutdown. Um, uh, but listen, I, I mean, I think the other, the other thing that that's sort of funny here is um, what what the the sides are fighting over is is not in the scheme of government spending a big number, right? Uh, the Democrats had record as saying they would they would approve uh, 1.5 billion or 1.6 billion, um, and this uh, asked for a little over five. So, you know, we're we're arguing over over about three billion dollars, which is you know the government spills more money, um, you know, in a day uh, than than that. Um, so it, it's sort of a, a, a funny thing. And also we're talking about a, this 25% government shutdown, which is not the drastic. Uh, the effects will not really be felt by uh, most uh, most Americans. Um, you know, checks will still go out. Offices will still be open and so forth. Um, so, you know, that that said, um, I, I think Trump is, is going to end up sort of having the upper hand on this one. Um, uh, just because I, I look, it's it's the wall is his uh, signature issue that he ran on. Uh, I think for him to to back down, even though look, it's largely symbolic. He had wanted a, a you know a much bigger wall, a much more beautiful wall, a twenty five billion dollar wall. Um, uh, but if if he can settle for somewhere between a, a one point five and a, a you know five point five billion dollar wall, he can still declare victory, and the Democrats can declare victory, saying we didn't give Trump the wall we he wanted, but uh, we're still big on border security. Yeah, well, you you know, I don't, I guess, yeah, certainly President Trump is happy to declare victory. We'll talk about this well, in yeah. <laughs> another story. It doesn't really matter what the facts on the ground are because uh, the president has a very tenuous relationship with the facts. But I mean, in, in terms of strategy, it seems to me that the Senate that doesn't have, I mean, there aren't the votes there to abandon the filibuster, even right. if McConnell wanted to, which 
he I'd say he clearly doesn't. No, not not over this. If yeah. you're if you're going to go nuclear, you're not going to go nuclear over you know, three and a half billion dollars. Right. You you do it over Supreme Court nominees, which, yeah. you know, that's that's what he did, obviously. So, I mean, all Democrats essentially have to do is hold firm for two weeks, at which point the new Congress convenes with a Democratic House majority and all pending legislation from the previous Congress is dead. So, right. I mean, this is this is a pretty easy call. For the Democrats. And that's why, you know, and we've, we've talked about this before, like what's Trump's strategy? I don't think there's a strategy. I just think, you know, he he heard from these Freedom Caucus people calling him basically a wimp if he would back down and that he was being soft and he governs by emotion. So, well, I'm not soft, you know, I'm the president. And so, you know, I, I think this is I think this is a big mistake. But you know, it doesn't surprise me. It's a it's an administration of big well, mistakes. But, but keep it. But keep in mind. I mean, if we come back, uh, you know, in the new Congress two weeks from now, um, the president will go to the Congress and will say, "I would like my wall built, please," uh, and he'll ask for uh, you know whatever five billion dollars or whatever it was he was asking for before, and you know Democrats who had been on record saying they would support one and a half billion would be in sort of a, a difficult position to say, uh, now, no, we're, we're, at, we're at zero. Um, I, I think, think that's, say that's that. an issue. Yeah, no, I think they're going to say, well, we, we offered, I think it's, we said 1.7 and that's going to be our offer. And, you know, you wanted to own the shutdown, but so, okay, own the shutdown then. And I okay. think they forced him in a corner and I don't, I mean, I, I don't see the Democrats moving on this. I hope that they don't move on this because they have the leverage here. And so I think yeah. then they're doing the right thing. Yeah, no, I would. Again, I, I, I agree with you in that most of the time Republicans lose shutdowns. Uh, I think this one will be a little bit different, though. Um, yeah. can, can you tell me why? I don't get why. I guess I'm, well, I'm because, struggling because, to understand. Because, look, I think the it's not important to the, the Democrat Party. Uh, but by and large for the American people, they do see border security as being a big deal, whether it's a wall or whether it's some other kind of barrier or, or more money uh, for border patrol or, or more money for uh, uh, the, the processing of people coming, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's what, what Trump ran on was, I'm going to be serious on immigration. Um, and I think the Democrats sort of balking it and you know, they're claiming it's, you know, the fiscal issues. Um, and I just don't think that sells anywhere. But I think when you've got these these caravans coming up from Central America, uh, I think the American people look at this and say, yeah, there is a problem here. Um, See, I, mean, I disagree. Would... I, I think that I think that you're in a little you're in a little bit too much of a conservative bubble here. And mm -hmm. certainly it's a problem to the Wall Street Journal editorial board, maybe, and some other folks on the right. But I, I don't think I mean, I think the smart Democratic move would be say you want you want five billion. We'll give you 10 billion for immigration reform. And but that doesn't include a wall and then put the president in that tough situation. Because all he wants the symbol. He doesn't. I mean, sure. he just he just tweeted about it, saying there's this he talked about this this beautiful wall, this metal thing with spikes that he called, you know, <laughs> not only effective, but beautiful. And my, and my God, if you think that's beautiful, or I mean, that, that says so much about, I think, the president's mindset and mentality. That's the sort of thing that a disturbed person says, you know, uh, it's just... Oh, I think it's more just his his sort of use of language. He just doesn't have that big of a vocabulary. And, he has and... the best words, Jay, the best words, <laughs> well, you know. But, but yeah, you know, another point on this... Oh, go ahead. Um, well, I, I look, I, I, I mean, as, and, and as you and I know, and we've talked about this for a while, there's, there 
are uh, there is a wall. I mean, and, and portions of the border. There's fencing on other parts. Yeah. There are some parts there. There's nothing. There's some. There's electronic sensors. There's a variety of of, of uh, impediments, barriers based on uh, sort of the likelihood of of people crossing and and the volume and so forth. Um, so look, there's going to be some sort of physical thing there anyway. It's just how reinforced. Um, uh, it becomes and and where it happens I, I you know look going back um uh you know when when trump took office you and i both talked about that the idea of a border long 50 foot wall was was just not really going to happen right um uh, for one republicans would balk at the the fiscal problems with that and the fact that in a lot of places it, it would be useless but there are places where it, it would be useful and needed i mean for example in december uh, alone, with with the, the uh, uh, border patrol picked up like fifty thousand people illegally crossing. And that's the number I, I can d- go back and double check because that that number struck me as uh, as insanely high. Numbers but, have been up, yeah. I mean, definitely. That, that's so. I mean, still, this is just to say that. And, and typically, we we talk about immigration, and um, I'm always uh, happy to acknowledge that most of the Folks who are here uh, illegally are not here illegally because they snuck across the border. They had some visa or something that expired and they overstayed uh, and so forth. And we, we talk about those stats all the time. But you can't ignore that there is a big number and that number is getting bigger. Yeah, and, who- and I agree. But but to me, the, the solution of putting up a wall is exactly the wrong way to deal with it. Why are people crossing illegally? Because it's so difficult to get into the country legally. And so my solution is to take the money that we would spend on this big, ugly wall and spend this money on increasing our ability to process people through and to let them in the country legally where they can become a part of our society, welcome them in, and it would be better for everyone instead of the, instead of building this big, ugly eyesore. That's, to What's me, the, is the reasonable solution. I, wow. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I can always say that's I, – I appreciate where you're coming from, but that strikes me as kind of naive – uh, I think what you, if you want people to go through the legal process, you have to put up some sort of barrier to prevent them from going the other way. Why? Well, why would they go yeah. through all the processing and do the paperwork? We can just walk across the border. Now, who's being naive? How much easier it is is it to get by in the United States if you're here legally as opposed to illegally? It's a lot easier. So I think, I mean, no, 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 right? No, because no. everyone oh loves gosh, being no. in the country illegally. That's so much fun. It's awesome. Come on, Jay. Oh, my gosh. I, I would, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I had a, had a great conversation with uh, the guy who runs the Thai restaurant that I, I frequent, um, uh, who just sort of, uh, again, this is out of nowhere, sort of launched, <laughs> sort of here's your, here's your uh, um, uh, uh, you know, pad Thai, and then sort of launched into a, a thing about uh, the wall and why isn't it being built. And he sort of went through everything he had to do to get into the country legally, what he had to do to get his wife into the country legally, how it took them five to 10 years, but they did it legally and how he really resents people who just walk across and then say they, you know, and then claim asylum. So that's, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. There ought to be an easier, quicker way for people to get in here legally. And let's, let's do that. Um, But so we agree it's, on that. If you okay. don't take away the incentive of, of just coming in, uh, claiming asylum, and then you're here for uh, you know no, quite I, a while, yeah. just to go go to a sanctuary city and 
uh, there you go. No, I see what you're saying. And, and in sense, yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm calling for open borders and let everyone in no matter what. And I think that would be, uh, if, if that's what, you know, you took it as, and yeah, absolutely that, I disagree with that. So I actually think we probably have a lot more common ground on this issue than, than maybe at first, it first appeared, I would guess. So, but okay. you know, there's one other thing I wanted to mention is, again, to me, this seems to be another example of how easy it is to manipulate President Trump. You know, I mean, he has these huge, obvious emotional buttons. And if you press them, you can move him in all sorts of ways. Something we'll get to in a minute here. I just just think, wow, what a just what a horribly. Again, another example of why the presidency should not be an entry level job in politics. You know, so but I said that a bunch of times. Um, so speaking fair, of fair, fair enough, my yeah. my my only point again, we should have got off. It was I think. I think as this plays out politically, I think the politics uh, favors uh, Trump. When you're talking about increased border security, there we're asking for an extra couple billion bucks. Uh, Congress won't give it to him, um, and there's a partial shutdown because of it. I, I think I, I, I see what you're saying, but I think I think it depends on how the Democrats play it. So they certainly could play it in in the in the wrong way, and and to to show that it's not about the money, I think they should be willing to appropriate. I said. 10 billion, but not for this big, ugly wall, but for other things that would make a lot more of a difference. And last but not least, I'll just throw this out there because it hasn't come up yet, but it could well come up next time around. Trump could sweeten the deal and say, give me my my 5 billion and I'll give you DACA. Now that would be interesting. I don't see him doing that, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I think he would be manipulated out of that by by whoever he talks to last, Stephen Miller. He would be supporting Congress for that, I think. It would be interesting to see, but I don't think it's going to play out. But anyway, now in foreign policy news, uh, the president once again stunned almost everyone in Washington by ignoring the advice of his top military advisors, proclaiming that we've defeated ISIS in Syria and announcing a pullout of U.S. forces. And this came not long after Trump's conversation with President Erdogan of Turkey, who argued that the rebels the U.S. is partnering with in Syria are allied with Turkish rebels that Erdogan sees as a threat to his authoritarian rule. Now, the consensus view of this move is that it's a big win for Syria, Russia, and Iran. And while President Trump denied this, at least in regards to Russia, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin flat out said that he was glad that U.S. troops would be leaving. And then shortly after this, uh, the widely respected U.S. Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, announced his resignation. And in his resignation letter, Mattis wrote of the importance of U.S. alliances, of being resolute in dealing with countries whose strategic interests differ from those of the U.S., specifically mentioning China and Russia, and treating allies with respect. And he told the president, because you have the right to a secretary of defense whose views are better aligned with yours on these and other subjects, I believe it is right for me to step down from my position. Now, the reaction to his resignation was bipartisan concern, and I would say rightly so. And to me, it's one more instance of President Trump's emotionally based, uninformed, ill-considered, seat-of-the-pants approach to decision-making. And just it's Trump being Trump to the detriment of us all. Uh, what do you think, Jay? Um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, there's really not much not more else I could go with there. Um uh, you know, this is um, uh, something that, uh, uh, again, stunned stunned me. Um, I, again, not that I'm, uh, you know, particularly in on anything more than anyone else who, who reads the news. But um, 
the idea that that we would would do this for a number of reasons. One, even even assuming we can say that the that ISIS has been totally defeated, which I think you can say they've been mostly defeated, right? I mean, uh, I think that's a fair statement. But yep. there's there's still a a you know very big strategic interest. Uh, for us to stay there, and and I know there are those who disagree with with uh, uh, U.S. deployments around the world. I'm I'm an internationalist, um, and regardless, I I think um, you know Trump was was correct back uh, when he had criticized the Obama administration for the Iraq pullout, um, uh, and uh, likewise. Uh, you know, this this is exactly the problem when you sort of simply, simply announce that, OK, we're leaving now. Um, all the uh, the opposition has to do is wait it out. Uh, it's more troubling because now it's it's not just a um, there are bands of terrorists or, or uh, you know, folks who, who would wish us ill. But we also have the Russian presence in Syria. Um, so I, I think it's yeah, it's absolutely a victory for Putin. Um, and I would say, look, of all the stuff that people have complained about uh, Trump being pro-Putin uh, or pro-Russia, this is this is the biggest pro-Russia thing uh, he's he's done, and yeah. it it sort of strikes at some anti. I mean, he before he would he had been very uh, hawkish in Syria, uh, and the concern was, oh my gosh, is this going to to push us to a, a you know confrontation uh, with Russia that will will end badly for everyone. Um, and uh, so I guess you can say, well, no, no, I guess it, it won't. But um, uh, it, it troubles. It's troubling. Again, anytime you, you, you do one of these pullouts, it sends a message. Uh, everything you do sends a message. Yeah. And I think that's that's the problem. Um, so and, you know, and, and Matt is it, the larger picture here is the more he does that sort of thing, the more of these sort of uh, uh, stable well-informed, serious people say, you know what, I can't work for this guy and quit. And the harder it becomes to get the best people to work for him. You know, I mean, I'm given, given what we see and especially what people know. Especially two, especially two years into your administration. Yeah, exactly. And That's, given the yeah. fact that you won't have the cover of uh, Congress entirely of your own party, you got to know what's going to be coming up. I mean, I, I certainly could see a lot of people saying, I just, I'm not willing to deal with that sort of thing, you know? And right. so I don't see this getting better. I see this just continually getting worse. And, you know, and, and there's, there are a couple of ways to look at this. I think, yeah, there are some, some, well, my fellow, I, mean, I guess, I guess you could always, I could always look at it as well. He might change his mind tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, you know, but, but you know, like, it's, like it's, on the, um, it's uh, that the stability shop. thing, right? I mean, we talked about with the, you know, with, with the first story, we talked about the fact that he surprised everyone and that seems to be his MO to keep people off balance and so forth. But what happens that, that uh, shakes your allies confidence that shakes the financial markets that that's not the way that you can operate at least long-term and successfully as president of the United States. You can do it maybe as a New York real estate, real estate developer and reality TV star, but it's not the way you can operate as president. And that, that, is, that, that has nothing to do with his policies or anything like that. That's just a strategic sort of reality, I would say. Yeah, well, I, so. yeah that's exactly right. All right. Well, before we get to our you know, next, I, I, think, I think we'll say we, we should we miss. Well, we will miss James Mattis. Uh, he was someone that you and I both, I think, agreed on was was a good uh, pick for that job. Uh, and I also want to say I I think that he did the right thing and the honorable thing 
um, by listen, if if you know, you can't uh, deal with the president, yeah. you can't then you you respectfully resign, um, like like he did. Uh, so I I think you know hats off to him. Um, you know, not trying to do any infighting or, you know, that sort of, um, He's uh, like, palace yeah. intrigue kind of stuff. Yep. Just say, look, this is, this is, I'm not your guy and, and, you know, best wishes. So. Absolutely. He's like the anti Michael Flynn. Uh, and yeah. I will, I will point out that Mattis is a Marine and Flynn's, uh, I think an army guy. So, you know, um, <laughs> not that I have any, uh, service bias there <laughs> anyway. Um, now, before we do get to our next story, we want to thank our newest supporters on Patreon, sustaining supporters, Wayne, Todd, Taj, Caleb, and, and Armand. Thank you all. And also, uh, yes. we have a new PayPal sustaining supporter, Carrie. So we really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. And uh, Jay, I also wanted to mention that earlier this week, I was approached by someone in our podcast hosting services ad department. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she she told me there were companies interested in advertising on the politics guys, and she wanted to know if we were interested. Now, can you guess what my first response was, Jay? You said go to hell. <laughs> well, it's, that was I. I could say that. But my first response was, "How much money are we talking about here?" <laughs> exactly. um, now, it, it it actually turned out to be you know a, a, you know it would be a, a fairly sizable chunk by our standards, but but you know then then I thought about what we're trying to do here. You know, advertisers see you folks as consumers to be marketed to. And we tried that and it just didn't sit right with us. We don't want to be part of that. Not, not just, you know, because ads are an annoyance, but because I think in a way I kind of see this show as kind of a community. I mean, sometimes a very dysfunctional community, at least if you listen to some of the Facebook stuff, but, but still, you know, you're our listeners and our supporters and we've made a commitment. At least I feel we've made a commitment to not using you as a means to an end, a way to help somebody move product. That's just sort of distasteful to me. Uh, maybe a little less so to you, Jay, being a person of the right. I don't know. Well, it becomes, it becomes, you know, we'll become less distasteful the more money they might pay us. Well, yeah, but, well, yeah there's yeah. that. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, for, for us to do this long term and sustainably to keep, you know, to keep on doing this, we do need your support. If you can help us out, that's great. If you're already a supporter and you're in a help us, position to help us out a little more, hey, that's great too. We really appreciate it. And of course, if you want to do that, politicsguys.com slash support, or you can just go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. Thanks so much. Okay, moving on. You know, it's weird to say this, but we actually do have some good policy news this week. So weird. Yeah, the Senate passed the First Step Act, which is a pretty significant overhaul of the criminal justice system by I should point out an impressively bipartisan margin of 87 to 12. And they joined the House, which earlier approved a version of the bill. And President Trump says he supports it and it should be ready for his signature pretty soon. The new law will make a number of changes in the system, including pulling back on mandatory minimum sentences, reducing the three strikes penalty from life to 25 years, uh, aligning sentences for crack cocaine with uh, those for powder cocaine and also allowing federal prisoners who exhibit good behavior and enroll in various rehabilitation programs to be eligible for early release. And and so, Jay, I wanted to get your take on this in a couple of ways. First off, what you think about it. And secondly, you know, I noticed that the only votes against it in the Senate came from 12 Republicans, including one senator I know you have a lot of respect for, that's uh, Ben Sass of Nebraska. And so uh, I'm wondering why why they weren't on board and just in general, what you think about this? Um, 
I, I'm wondering too. I mean, I, I guess the the concern, and I have not read any specifics as, as far as SASs or these other reasons, other than the general, they don't think uh, it, it went far enough in in in, in uh, you know protecting people from uh, violent criminals and uh, could put people back on the streets earlier than they ought to or with shorter sentences and that sort of thing. Um, uh, I, I also would have, uh, and this is just me, um, you know, on the, the, the crack cocaine versus powder cocaine, that's a, that's a, you know, big debate going back from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the idea that, that crack cocaine was, was punished more heavily, uh, the rationale being, um, that it was more addictive, was more linked to violence. Uh, the other side of that being, uh, well, this is uh, a racial uh, thing because those who used crack cocaine were more often people of color than than you know right. the you know powder cocaine was sort of a high end uh, uh, you know luxury drug. Um, uh, so from just from a purely policy standpoint, I guess that would be to me the the objections to it. Um, that that said, I mean, I'll I'll delve a little bit into personal stuff here. In that, um, and Mike, you may know this, and I don't know, but I'm sure our listeners don't. But uh, I've I've you know visited prisons. Uh, I've visited people in 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 prison. Uh, I have um, uh, I'm a member of the the Sixth Circuit uh, uh, Criminal Justice Act. Um, uh, panel. Uh, so I, I, I take pro bono cases, um, uh, for, uh, prisoners, um, uh, habeas corpus things and stuff like that. So, uh, it, it, it may surprise people, but, you know, I have in my, in my past talked to a whole lot of people who are in federal prison, um, and I've visited, uh, state prisons and, and I came away that it was really a, a life-changing experience almost. I, I think when I visited uh, the Ohio Reformatory in Mansfield and met with the warden, and he he made the point that mo- ev- almost everybody in there, um, and again, this was a medium security, but the violent uh, offenders, um, most everyone in there was going to be out eventually, within five years, 10 years, and, and they were, they ha- they were going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that really stayed with me, uh, the importance of, of setting up a, a system where, um, uh, prisoners can, can have a life after, after they have served their time. Um, and, and again, that's sort of, I know that that's at odds with a lot of the tough on crime sort of rhetoric that you get from the Republican party, uh, and not to say you should be tough on crime, um, but you need to do it with the, the understanding of, um, uh, these these people uh, are going to be uh, out eventually and and need to be rehabilitated and, and go somewhere. And this this bill again, it's rapidly named first step. It doesn't do a ton of stuff, but it it would allow for uh, that uh, help with that that integration um, after the sentence. It also again got rid of some some mandatory sentencing uh, provisions that were put in in the early '90s that I I can that judges judges hated. Um, uh, one because they don't like stuff that limits their discretion, um, but there there were cases, and and again I can attest to this as something on a, on a personal level, um, uh, in in clerking for the uh, appellate court, um, we'd see cases where we're just you know this is this is terrible. There were people who were serving sentences for things that, um, uh, you know were were grossly, it seemed, uh, out of line with the crime they committed. Uh, but yet there was the minimum sentence. There was, there was nothing, 
the trial judge could do. They had no discretion uh, to lower that. So uh, by and large, I think this is a good thing. Um, and the, the story of how it came about is actually kind of fascinating. And I, I read, it was on CNN.com, um, but the, the whole like, involvement of, of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West and uh, Van Jones and, and this sort of sort of weird sort of cast of characters who you wouldn't expect to be uh, involved in policymaking, um, how they got this done. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting reading. So. so, yeah, I thought we would be more or less in agreement on this being a, a good thing. And it's a good point also that you made that, uh, you know, it is just the first step. And uh, what a lot of people might not have known before this uh, was was passed, or it will be a lot, at least pretty soon, is that, you know, only, I think it's 13% of inmates in prisons in the U.S. are federal inmates. And so, you know, there's only so much that Congress can can do here, right? And And of course, one of the problems with our criminal justice system, I would say, is that we have by far the highest incarceration rate in the world. Uh, We're we're, uh, number one at, I believe it's uh, 655 per 100,000. And number two is El Salvador and Turkmenistan. Those are the big three. Um, uh, (laughs) El Salvador and Turkmenistan. And if that isn't a sad stat, I don't know what is and of course at the federal level there's only so much we can we can do though i you know i would i i'm i'm happy for this i i applaud it and i think it's a good thing but i would like to see us do more but that would have to happen through state reform and i mean we might differ a little bit on this jay i i would sort of like to see the federal government encouraging this by maybe tying some grant money to sentencing reform what do you think about that yeah. I mean, okay. I, you're you're kind of <laughs> half enthusiastic, you know. I mean, it's sort of it's sort of like you know, the, I was getting offered the uh, the ad ad money, um, <laughs> um, because you know, with with that grant always comes uh, some some federal strings, and I, you know, I I think most states are are relooking at at what they've done in on criminal sentencing, right? Um, and I can uh, again. You know, not that the show is all about me today, but but I also early in my career, I was, you know, as a staff member on to the uh, uh, Ohio Criminal Sentencing Commission when uh, we did the last big rewrite of Ohio's criminal sentencing laws. And again, that would have been in the mid 90s. And so much of the criminal sentencing legislation that occurred in, in states and at the federal level during that time uh was was so influenced by the crack cocaine epidemic yeah. and the violence that that came with it that you know was in the late 80s early 90s um so there was there was very much this this mood and and um um you know and the other thing that that I I've learned through so much of of this is you know one of the biggest predictors in um uh criminal behavior it it's it's not economics um a lot of times just a demographic thing and you there sort of there are demographic bulges that that go through the system um right. if you have a a higher number of percentage of, of of males between the ages of 18 and 25 who are statistically the ones who commit the most crimes uh you're going to see more more criminal behavior it's it's just the numbers um that's not to say that these these other factors uh you don't play into it but um uh sometimes there there is just a number and the other the other piece that i i think the people should that there's a big misconception um that we are locking up uh not a lot of nonviolent offenders 
Uh, and that's not actually the case, because, again, a lot of these these sentencing reforms that took place in the 90s did focus on um, uh, community, what's called community control sanctioning, uh, some sort of probation or minimal time in, in a, a, a local facility as opposed to a state prison um, in, in lieu of, of lengthy prison sentences for nonviolent offenders. Um, but the the. Um, I mean, a problem that we, we've got is that there are a lot of violent offenders um, who, who are out there and who are in the prison system um, and, and again, still need someplace. Uh, uh, they're they're going to go somewhere. I think sure. that's the so. Absolutely. You know, and I also wanted to point out that it's good that this happened now because I think the chances of it happening in the next Congress would have been probably a bit lower because my guess is that the House Democratic majority would have asked for more than maybe Republicans were willing to give in the Senate. And so it might have made a deal a, a little a little tougher. So I think this was the right time. There was a narrow window to make this happen. And I'm, I'm glad to see it happened. Well, there was and there was actually um, again, if, if you read, there was a, a you know, vein within the, the Demo- uh, House Democrat caucus. Um, that was very concerned uh, that that was opposing this just on the basis of they did not want to be seen as giving Trump a win. Sure. Um, and it's that's kind of crass politics. And uh, I think we can be thankful that uh, sort of our better angels prevailed on all sides and we got something worthwhile yeah. done. Of course, I should point out that this was this was brought up when President Obama was in office and uh, the Republicans had exactly, many Republicans had exactly the same sort of response, except their better angels somehow did not prevail. But the Democrats did, which makes total sense to me. Anyway, uh, let's move on. It was a big week for opponents of the Affordable Care Act. A federal judge in Texas struck it down in its entirety. Uh, Judge Reed O'Connor, who's a George W. Bush appointee, said in his opinion that once Congress zeroed out the tax penalty for those who did not have insurance, they did that in the tax overhaul they passed, the mandate could no longer be considered an exercise of Congress's taxation power, which was the grounds on which the Supreme Court found the mandate to be constitutionally permissible. But Again, it didn't end with him just striking down the mandate. Uh, Judge O'Connor accepted the argument of the 20 plaintiff states, and those were led by Texas, that the mandate is so central to the law that there would be no way to sever it from the law in its entirety. And so the whole thing had to be declared null and void. Yeah. And President Trump, of course, tweeted his support. But then the White House also released a statement making it clear that pending appeals, the law would remain in place. And it seems to me that legal experts, the, the consensus on both sides was that, well, Judge O'Connor's decision on what's called severability was fairly questionable, saying that it might actually be seen as sort of unsustainable and you could make a good argument that it's judicial activism here. Um, now, from here, the case will move to the Fifth Circuit, which has a rep- which has a reputation of being fairly conservative. And even if the judges there uphold it, the five Supreme Court justices who voted to uphold the ACA are still on the court. And my guess is that even if it gets to that point, it's unlikely that the swing vote, which is Chief Justice Roberts, is going to vote to overturn it. Um, and, and I think what's telling also well, at is, least at least in, in, in toto. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. And, you know, I think what's also really telling is that a lot of congressional Republicans were really muted in their response to this ruling. And I think largely they see it as a potential campaign issue if it gets up to the Supreme Court level, because it'd be hitting around that time, maybe. But 
also that there are a number of elements of Obamacare that are really popular with the public, like the no uh, insurance denial for pre-existing conditions sure. and the ability of kids to stay in their parents' policies till they're 26 and that sort of thing. So now, Jay, you're our, you're our, uh, our, our resident attorney here. Uh, what's your what's your take on this? Uh, I, I would say I'm, I'm sort of falling into the uh, consensus conventional wisdom. I think the judge got it right on the taxing power issue, uh, but he uh, overstepped on severability. Um, you know, there's sort of a, a presumption um, uh, for severability, if, if you will, that if one part of a, a legislation is struck down, uh, the rest of it can remain intact. Um so I, I think he, I think you know the Obamacare can remain intact even without this provision in there. Uh, it may be more expensive, it may be more clunky, but I I, I disagree that it it unwinds the entire the entire system. Um, and I and I think Jay that that uh, that's a point that a number of commentators made when they said you know if Congress had had intended for that to be the result, then they would have made some mention of it in the tax reform law, which zeroed this out. And so essentially the arguments, and we've talked about this before, this, you know, whenever, whenever you possibly can, you adhere to the wishes of the legislature and your, I mean, and so a lot of folks would say, well, you know, maybe your anti-ACA, and I think that's fair to say, Jay, that you are personally, but yeah. you're much more uh, a principled when it comes to being against judicial activism, whether it's yeah. from the well, left or I, the I right. I would say be before you get to the wishes of the legislature, um, the first question you ask, ask is, what does what do the words say? What yeah. did the plain language Good say? Point. Is 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 the is there an intent that is manifest in in that language? Right. Uh, and in this case, there is there is not. Um, and in you know the, the, then the question for judicial you know review that that. You know, legislative intent only really kind of comes into play where there's some ambiguity, um, and and I, I don't know that there is here. So, my my guess is what you know, it'll go to the Fifth Circuit. Uh, the Fifth Circuit will affirm in part and reverse and remand in part. Um, mm -hmm. You know, saying essentially, look, I think we think you're right on the tax power. This part uh, is is now a dead letter, but we would remand to the district court for a reevaluation of what parts of the statute are severable and what parts are not. Right. Right. That sounds, that sounds pretty reasonable. That would be my guess as well. Now, do you think then if, if that's the case, then that will be uh, that, that part that's being uh, affirmed, the part about the mandate being not okay anymore, basically that, that, that element of it, does that get challenged and does this, does the Supreme court sort of uphold that part of the ruling? I mean, I think they have to, right. I mean, if you look at, at how, um, the uh, decision that uh, so the Sebelius decision mm -hmm. uh, came about, Roberts relied really. It all came down to that taxing power, um, and and again there was the, the bizarre thing of you know Obama sold it as this isn't a tax, this isn't a tax, uh, and then when it got to court, well this is this is a tax, it's a taxing power. That's where our authority lies. Uh, I, I don't I don't see a a constitutional off ramp. On on that one, yeah. you know, to, to to say, okay, well, no, it's something else, um, because they they sort of put all their eggs in that basket, um, uh, or or at least the, the you know the majority yeah. as you as you cobble it together had all their eggs in that basket. Yeah. Um, there there would be there would be the I think the 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 more liberal wing that would say no, this is a commerce clause issue, right. but I don't think there's five votes for that. 
Well, I'm wondering, and I'm not sure about this, but I'm wondering what sort of a difference in reality it makes. Because right now you have a mandate with no penalty. Yeah. Right. And so to, to just basically say that you can't have a mandate with no penalty, well, well, you can still presumably have the exchanges, I would think. But I, but I don't know. I mean, does that does that unwind that entire part of that in its entirety? Does that mean that you can't even have the exchanges or or, or not? And that's that's what I'm wondering, essentially. Well, I think and, that's that's the stuff that I think it goes back to the, the district court to develop a bigger factual record. Right. Right. I mean, I, I think what would what would have to happen. Um, and again, I'm I'm saying this without having read all the briefs and followed, you know, every bit of it. But but, you know, there would be sort of evidentiary hearings of the state would come in and say, um, look, here's why the exchanges can't work anymore, because we know by experience here are the numbers. People won't sign up. It's just going to collapse, uh, uh, you know, into its unto itself, like, you know, this black hole kind of thing, um, death spiral and so forth. Um, other side would probably argue, no, 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 we can, we can still have the exchanges that can still work. Uh, it might not be, it might be more expensive. It might be more cumbersome. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there might be fewer plans, that, that sort of thing. I think that's a, a factual argument that would have to be developed at the trial court level. Yeah. And, and I would say, I mean, just from a principle standpoint, the, the sort of approach of judicial restraint would be to say, well, you know, let's not <laughs> impose our judgment on this and let's kind of see what happens. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, we will, we will, in fact, see what happens. Um, but now, I, now that said, I mean, the other, the other political piece of this is, yeah, it it does put uh, the ACA in jeopardy, mm-hmm. right? It, so it does sort of light this fire of look, there is a chance that this whole thing could get knocked out. Um, somebody needs to do something sure. to to head that off. Good so I think that's Democrats, that, yeah. yeah. Well, Absolutely. it's an issue, a good issue for Republicans because they can sort of. You think every least, issue is a good issue for Republicans? Sort of the, no, but it, well, Obamacare overruled. I mean, that's that's still the headline, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Trump, I think you could you got to give Trump credit for saying, uh, "Look, I'm not going to immediately, uh, you know, I, I will keep this in in, in force, um, pending uh, uh, appeal." As opposed to just doing a, an erratic is, sort of Trump thing, saying all mark all uh, exchanges are now illegal, right? This is this is how low the bar has has oh. has become. Where when the president doesn't uh, doesn't uh, immediately sink the country into chaos, we're giving him credit. That's yes. that's where we've sunk. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> oh well, what are you going to do? Anyway, on that point, let's let's close. But I should mention as soon as Jay and I are done. Recording this show in just a few minutes, we will be doing our special supporters only exclusive bonus show. Now, you might have been wondering, hey, what about the Michael Flynn sentencing thing? That was big news. We will be talking about that as well as the recent rate hike by the Federal Reserve and that stock market drop that's maybe associated with it. If you're a supporter, that should be in your podcast app by the time you hear this. And if you're not a supporter, you can go to politicsguys.com slash support or our Patreon page, patreon.com slash politicsguys. But that is it for us today. We really appreciate you listening and if you could subscribe to the show share episodes all that kind of stuff leave ratings and reviews on itunes that would help as well if you want to get in touch with us mail at politicsguys.com there's also our facebook page facebook.com slash politicsguys page and we are on twitter at politicsguys executive producers of the politics guys are michael baranowski jay carson trey Orndorf, will miller and bruce johnson today's show is produced by michael baranowski we'll be back with a new show on wednesday january 2nd we hope you'll join us